Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you've joined us this morning, ready to study the Bible, we hope. We hope we all learn a little bit more about our Bibles today. Now, the way we do that on this program is we just answer questions. So if you've got a question about the Bible, maybe something you've always wondered, does the Bible really say that? Uh, we'll try to find an answer for you. And the way you get us those questions is there's a phone number and a website on the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime to get in touch with us and uh, leave us a question. Uh, give it to the operator if they're on duty, and we will put it in the stack and get to it just as quickly as we can. So that's the way we operate. When I say we, I'm talking about me, Steve Tandy, and my partner, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here, and uh, we're studied up and ready to answer as many as we can. But... Long-time viewers know they get the first question, so here's our viewer question for the day. Uh, which New Testament book is actually part two of the Gospel of Luke? Luke wrote a Gospel, and then he wrote another book to follow up on that Gospel. So we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program, see if you know that little bit of Bible book history. Toby, look like you drew number one, so yes, tell us about long life. <laughs> well, the viewer asked the question, why did the people in Genesis live so much longer than we do? Well, clearly this is a Bible student, somebody who's been reading thoroughly, at least through Genesis, because that is something that you notice, certainly as you read those genealogies, how many hundreds of years they those folks lived, and uh, well, why is that? why is it so much different than back then? Well, the, the short answer is that God created a perfect world. We're told in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, very first verse of the Bible, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if we believe that, we understand that God is perfect and nothing that he creates is imperfect, uh, that the world at that time was perfect and good, perfect environment, human beings and, and creation was had perfect genes. Uh, everything was exactly as God intended it to be, and it could be no less. Now, very quickly after this perfect world, man enters the, the scene and uh, brings sin into the world in Genesis chapter 3. And after that, things go dramatically downhill. Uh, the, the wickedness and the evil of human beings increases dramatically to the point where in Genesis chapter 6, God's heart is literally broken over the evil that mankind is committing. And he sends a flood on the earth. And that flood changed things in a lot of ways. Certainly, it uh, eliminated all human beings from the face of the earth, except for Noah and his family. But it also changed the environment. It changed the world. Uh, so that, uh, yeah, truly, I think that the, the world we know today and experience in creation, though as beautiful, uh, is nothing, in my mind, like it was when God made it in the beginning. And so I think there's a lot of things that are different. Uh, but you see in Genesis chapter 6 uh, that there in uh, verse 3, this won't be on the screen, but God, the Lord says, My spirit will not abide in man forever, 
for he is flesh, his days shall be 120 years. And after this, you see mankind's lifespans drop off considerably to the point where no one um, past the Genesis account lives past the age of 120, uh, except for one person noted in Second Chronicles chapter 24, verse 15, and, and that says that person lived to be 130. So uh, God placed limits on it as a result of the sin and and the things that were in the world, and it also uh, the world was a radically different place. So I think human beings are limited both naturally and by God himself. That's why we don't live as long as they did uh, back in the early part of Genesis. I hope that helps you. All right. Viewers uh, wondering about Jesus being married. We had a question a few weeks ago that uh, asked if Jesus was married, and this viewer said, you said Jesus wasn't married, uh, but wasn't he married to the church? Well, uh, I certainly didn't think of that question that way. I can't even remember which one of us answered that, but neither one of us thought of that, I don't think. I uh, didn't take it that way. Uh, but I see what our viewers saying. And my answer to, was Jesus married to the church? Uh, I'd say sort of. Now, I know he's called the bridegroom. Lots of times in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the bridegroom. And he's referred to uh, the church waiting for his return and all of that. So uh, that's in there, but uh, I think it's more of a picture, more of a metaphor, uh, more of an illustration uh, than it is a fact. Now let me show you a couple of verses that talk about uh, Jesus and the church as a bride and a groom. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So there's a picture in 25 about uh, Jesus loving the church so much that he gave himself up for. Then in verses 31 and 32, it says, A man will be united to his wife, and the two will become flesh, one flesh. And then Paul says, This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So I can see where you could read that and say, well, Jesus was married to the church. But uh, I think it's more of, like I said, a, a metaphor and a, a illustration of how much Jesus loved the church. And we ought to love our wives and wives love their husbands like that. Uh, it never says marriage is like Jesus in the church. It is exactly Jesus in the church. In fact, point out there, Paul says, this is a profound mystery. Uh, if it was absolutely Jesus married to the church and then pictured as church and uh, or husband and wife, he wouldn't say it was a profound mystery. Uh, there's something similar to it, but it's not exactly the same thing, I don't think. Uh, the only reason I'd worry about making that distinction is that there are some religious groups that press it uh, beyond what seems reasonable from the Bible. Uh, there is one Pentecostal group, in fact, that teaches that uh, it is marriage between a Christian and Jesus, and instead of just being baptized and uh, uh, obeying Christ in baptism, you have to take vows, marriage vows, and literally marry yourself to Christ. And that kind of thing is nowhere in the Bible. So I, I wouldn't press it to that extent, but uh, Jesus loved the church uh, so much that he died for, and that's an example for husbands and wives both. All right, next question is about baptism. We had a lot of questions about baptism on the program. 
What requirements are there for baptism? Well, my short answer to that is very few. Um, we often overcomplicate the matter much more than Jesus really intended. Uh, if we look at um, Mark chapter 16, verse 16, this won't be on the screen, but this is uh, one of the final commands of Jesus to the apostles before he left. And he simply said, uh, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Well, that's pretty simple. Uh, just simply believe. Well, believe in what? What do you mean by believe? Here we go, human beings trying to complicate things. Uh, there's a good story in Acts chapter 8, an account of the uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And uh, this is a very interesting story because Philip didn't know the eunuch. Uh, they, were, they were from different places, different regions, Jew, Gentile, so forth. Uh, but the, the man, the eunuch, is reading about the account, the prophecy of Jesus in Isaiah. And uh, he doesn't understand what he's reading. And so the eunuch, uh, Philip, goes up to him, explains uh, how it was pointing to Jesus, shares the gospel with him. Verse 37 of that account says, uh, or uh, verse 36, rather, of chapter 8, uh, Philip uh, says, I'm sorry, the eunuch says, excuse me, they were going along the road and they came to some water. The eunuch said, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Verse 37 says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Well, that's, that's pretty much all you have to believe. And if you believe that, you're saying, if, if I believe, I'm willing to do whatever Jesus said to do, you know, to obey the commands and to live my life uh, in obedience to him. And that's pretty much it. That's all one has to do, to know who Jesus is, to understand that you're a sinner and that Jesus was your Savior and uh, that you need him and that he wants you and to, to simply believe and trust him, uh, confess his name as Lord and be baptized. So don't really overcomplicate it. Uh, the, Philip did not with the Ethiopian eunuch. He just said, hey, if, you're, if you believe with all your heart, let's do it. And uh, so they, were, they baptized the uh, Philip baptized the eunuch, and he went on his way uh, rejoicing. So uh, this is uh, something where we just need to, if you know what you need to do, then go ahead and do that. You understand that Jesus commanded it. Let's go ahead and do it. I'll point you to the Apostle Paul's uh, conversion story. Uh, he recounted it this way in Acts chapter 22, verse 16 on the screen. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Uh, and he, he understood, uh, like we all understood, once we understand what to do, simply need to go ahead and take the step and do it. So hope that helps you. Studying the Bible is a good thing for us to do, and we enjoy studying it with you for a few minutes each week. But uh, we also think that uh, the Bible's got a whole lot more in it than we can cover in 30 minutes if we're on forever. Uh, so we advocate home Bible study. And we know a lot of folks do that regularly, and a lot of folks have trouble getting started in that. So we've come up with some tools that we think are great helps to your studying the Bible on your own, <clears throat> and we offer them to you each week absolutely free of charge. There's the first set of lessons. There's eight lessons in it, just a good overview of the Bible. And then we've got some other courses beyond that that you can keep studying the Bible for quite a while with Know Your Bible Study Tools, and we've added some online courses. If you'd like to uh, study on your phone or PC or tablet, just uh, log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org. They'll get you fixed up with an online course that's uh, <clears throat> excellent Bible study, 
and uh, you can know your Bible a little bit better. So those are the tools we've got, like I said, absolutely free of charge. Uh, if you take the ones through the mail, we pay the postage both ways. So um, great way to study the Bible. No obligation on your part except a little bit of time and sitting down with your Bible. So give us a call or log on to the, our website and tell us you'd like that free course or log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and get that one set up by yourself. So it's ways to study the Bible. We invite you to do that. All right, viewers got a question about crosses around your neck. Is wearing a cross around your neck <clears throat> an acknowledgement of being a Christian? Well, let me put it this way. A cross is certainly the symbol of Christianity. I don't think the cross is tied to anything else or any double meanings to it. So if you see a cross, uh, you know, it's got some connection to Christianity. Uh, now, if you're asking if you see a person with a cross around their neck, uh, can you know that they're a Christian? Uh, well, it's certainly an indication that they're not anti-Christian, I guess, uh, but it doesn't really prove that they're a Christian. Uh, it's a good indication. Uh, if you see somebody with a Kansas City Chiefs sweatshirt on, uh, you can pretty well assume they're a, they watch some NFL football and they like the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, it doesn't prove it, though, but it's a real good indication. So, yes, I'd say if you see somebody with a cross, they've probably got uh, some degree of affinity to Christianity, and that's a good thing, I guess, that they're uh, demonstrating that to people. Uh, one warning I would say about it is uh, when I say it doesn't prove it, uh, the Bible does talk about outward signs being a little dangerous, uh, that showing outwardly how religious you are is not a real good thing. Now, my example of that is what Jesus said uh, in Matthew chapter 23. Let's look at that. He was talking about the Pharisees. And he said in verse 23, chapter 23, verse 5, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Now, to understand that, let me show you a picture of a Hasidic Jew uh, with phylacteries and fringes. Uh, we've got a picture of a fellow here with, uh, there he is, a uh, little box on his head is a phylactery and there's scriptures in there. And you see those fringes on the shawl, they're kind of long. Well, Pharisees made those phylacteries bigger uh, and their fringes longer to show people how religious they were. And Jesus said, they're just doing that to be seen of men. So what I'm trying to say is outward appearance, uh, the bigger the cross you wear around your neck doesn't mean the more Christian you are. Uh, and Jesus said, be a little careful about showing that off and uh, bragging about your religiosity with outward signs. But uh, yes, I'd say a cross around the neck is a pretty good indication that the person uh, has positive uh, attitude about Christianity at least. All right, we got a question about another TV program, Steve. Uh, this is kind of unusual. There's a TV program called Searching for Sister Wives that claims Bible says the Bible says men can have multiple wives. Is that true? Well, I don't know the answer about the other program. I've never seen it. Uh, I don't know anything about the program itself. I know there are people who do believe that. They look in the pages, certainly within the Old Testament. They see uh, Old Testament people of faith who had multiple wives, uh, and uh, that is 
you know, they look at that and they say, well, this person did it. <laughs> What's wrong with that? And, and they, they kind of base their foundation of belief, and there's some Old Testament laws concerning this and all of that. Well, my answer to this is, uh, as far as polygamy goes, is having multiple wives, uh, God's original plan was always monogamy. And there's just no other... I mean, scripture is as clear as it can be in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. This uh, this one won't be on the screen, but, oh, there it is. I guess it will be on screen. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Okay, so this is very clear, singular man, singular wife, uh, and, and one flesh. And that's what marriage is. In God's design, it's one man and one woman for one lifetime. And human beings ever since that pronouncement <laughs> ever since Adam and Eve they've messed that up in all sorts of ways polygamy adultery homosexuality in our modern world same-sex marriage these are these are things that are not what God intended Jesus was asked about divorce in uh, Matthew chapter 19 and the question comes to Jesus uh, is it lawful for one to divorce one's wife for any cause and Jesus says haven't you read haven't you read? And he takes him all the way back to that verse I just showed you in Genesis chapter 2, uh, that uh, a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall no longer be two but one flesh. What God has joined together, let not man separate them. And they ask the question, well, why did Moses allow us to get a certificate of divorce? So, well, if it's a problem, why, why did Moses allow it? And Jesus answers, because your hearts were hard. Uh, that's what not not what God intended, but because of the hardness of your hearts, they had to make laws concerning that because you were so set on going against what God had intended. Well, the same is true for polygamy and any other deviation from the plan. Uh, God's Word is clear. God's Word is also an honest book about what God's expectation is and how many ways human beings will deviate from God's expectation. So just because we find that in there, just because we see other people doing that or teaching that, uh, does not mean that God believes that's okay. When God teaches about, uh, Paul writes about marriage, we referred to this scripture earlier in Ephesians chapter 5, talks about husband and wife in the singular sense. Uh, God never changes, but human beings change all the time. Let's stick with God's original plan, regardless of what TV programs say. Uh, always stick to what God says, first and foremost, in marriage. Hope that helps. All right. Viewer wants to know about dreams. Does God still communicate to us through dreams? Well, my quick answer is not in the sense that he did communicate through dreams in the, uh, the Bible times. Uh, not in the sense of revealing new truth or giving specific directions. Uh, I mean, God appeared to a number of people in dreams and told them, I want you to go here, I want you to leave this country, I want you to go find a wife here. They got very specific instructions uh, and revelations in dreams. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says that doesn't happen anymore. So let's look at that verse in Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2. Uh, the writer says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, uh, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of, heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So the writer says, long ago, many times in many ways, God spoke 
to our fathers. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Okay, so Jesus came. He told us what God's will was. He explained God to us. And God doesn't speak to us in many ways like he did. Dreams and visions and uh, visits from angels and all of that. Uh, the writer says, doesn't do that anymore. Jesus came and told us what we need to know, and that, that settled it. Uh, now, if you're talking about can you get some kind of insight from a dream, uh, I, I, let me make clear, you're not going to get new revelation. You're not going to get specific instructions about uh, what you're supposed to do next. But if you've got something you're wondering about and you study the Word and you meditate on it and you pray for guidance and one morning you wake up and it's just become clear to you, uh, okay, now I know what I'm supposed to do. Uh, if you want to say that, okay, God revealed that to you, uh, God clarified it for you, uh, that's okay with me. Uh, maybe he does work the mind that way. You know, he invented the mind. He can use it any way he wants to. Uh, so quite possible that uh, you will get some guidance like that, uh, but not in the sense that Abraham and Joseph and David and those people got direct uh, revelation and instructions on what to do. So uh, God stopped dealing in those kind of dreams a while ago, the writer of Hebrews says. We take this moment and invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. Uh, we're sponsored by the Churches of Christ and appreciate them and I'd like to mention a few that uh, help us and uh, stay on the air. And today let's mention the ones up in the Quad Cities. Uh, we broadcast out of Rock Island, Illinois. A number of churches up there are a big help to us. Uh, the Sterling, Illinois Church, the Moline, Illinois, and Muscatine, Iowa, all in the Quad City area. And uh, we appreciate them and their uh, support of this program. If you live in one of those communities, uh, stop in and visit them sometime. Or maybe you know a member of one of those congregations. Uh, tell them that, uh, hey, I was watching Know Your Bible the other day and saw you sponsor it. I appreciate you keeping that on the air. Uh, certainly, if you're looking for a church home, you'd be warmly welcomed at any of those uh, Churches of Christ or any Church of Christ, whatever viewing area you're in. Uh, stop in and tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. All right, Toby, I'm going to let you read this next question. <laughs> yeah, it's always a fun word to say. Uh, what does the word sepulcher mean? Yeah, see, I still struggle with it. Uh, it is a, a word that simply means tomb. Uh, sepulcher is found in the King James translation uh, that I know of. That's the only one where it's found. In fact, let me read. This won't be on the screen, but let me read to you from Mark chapter 16. And uh, I'll read first from the uh, King James Version. Very early in the morning on the first, this is Mark 16, 2 and following. Mark uh, 16, 2 and following. Very early in the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said, in, un, they said among themselves, Who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? Okay, now the English Standard, same, or same uh, verse, same Mark 16, 2 and 3. Very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were going to one another saying, Who will roll away the stone for, for us from the entrance of the tomb? So that's simply what that word means. It's a word, uh, if you define it strictly, it's a small uh, uh, room cut out of, usually out of rock or kind of like a cave. If you go to... Um, uh, Jerusalem, you'll 
can visit the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which just simply means the place where they believe uh, Jesus' body was laid, or one of the places. So uh, simply means tomb is all the word means. Yeah, hard to say, but that's uh, a very simple meaning. All right, I'm going to stick with tomb. <laughs> that's a lot easier. <laughs> a lot easier to say than sepulchre. Okay, let's speak about numbers for a minute. The uh, viewer says, I see the number 40 a lot in my reading, and what's its significance? Okay, uh, well, 40 is in the Bible quite a few times. There are a number of places that 40 is used for uh, reporting something. And uh, some people uh, get into numerology, is what the study's called, of trying to figure out what all the numbers in the Bible mean. And they have some coded meaning, kind of. Uh, and there are a few numbers like that. Seven, for instance, is kind of the mark of perfection in the Bible. Uh, there's seven good things about a lot of things. Uh, Forty is probably the number that we do see the most often in the Bible. Uh, and some people say, all right, 40 is a time of trial. Uh, that's what it's tied to, and they get that because uh, Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, Moses was on the mountain for 40 days. Uh, Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. Uh, so some people see all those 40s and say, okay, this is what God uses when he's talking about a time of trial or testing, and he uses 40. Okay, well, maybe so. Uh, maybe, but I, I don't think we ought to go overboard on this business about this number meaning that. Uh, I think here's a pretty good rule of thumb. Sometimes a number is just a number. Uh, it doesn't have any deep coded meaning. Uh, so if you want to say that 40 is usually used for a time of trial, uh, maybe, maybe it does. Uh, but I think going beyond that and trying to figure out every number in the Bible and the study of numerology is, is kind of a waste of time. Uh, numbers are just numbers most of the time in the Bible. All right, we're about out of time today, and uh, we appreciate you being with us. Uh, if you haven't uh, called in to sign up for that correspondence course yet, uh, we'd be glad to get that started for you. There's a phone number and a website. Uh, you can go on there and just say you want that free course. We'll get it started for you. Uh, I run into people out in public every once in a while, and they say, uh, I'm going to sign up for that correspondence course someday, but I just haven't done it yet. Uh, well, today would be a real good day to do that. Uh, just grab the phone or grab your computer and say you want that course uh, or that online course. It would be a great way to get get started studying that way, too. So invite you to do that. Uh, let's study our uh, trivia question here for the day, see what that was about. Uh, viewer want our question for you was, what New Testament book is actually part two of the Gospel of Luke? And that is the book of Acts. If you just read the first verse, you'll see that uh, Luke wrote the book of Luke, and he told about the life of Christ. And then he wrote Acts to a fellow named Theophilus. And he said, Theophilus, I wrote you the first book to tell you about Jesus' life and what he began to do. Uh, now I want to tell you about the rest of it. So that's what the book of Acts is about, is Jesus' uh, uh, time after his resurrection, uh, going back to heaven, the day of Pentecost, and the church starting. So Luke and Acts, kind of a two-volume set. Mm -hmm. We're glad you've been with us today, and I hope you come back next week to hear some more of your questions and our answers. Until then, we hope you have a great week. The
Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.